very grateful for the face covering news. That means you're glad to see me. Come up here because you don't have to wear your mask any longer. Let's join together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of praise that we're able to offer to you. We're grateful for you being a great God, being a loving God, a merciful God. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for Christ alone. We pray that you would help us now as we interact with a very important scripture, that you would help us each one to have an untroubled heart, an untroubled heart when everything argues against that being true, except you and your word. So we thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to be in John chapter 14 if you want to start turning to there. But a little background I think is in order first. John chapters 13 through 17 are referred to as Jesus' farewell discourse. Five chapters among the last words that the Lord Jesus is going to utter here on this planet. That chapter, chapter 13, began to, oh, excuse me, the uh, children get a chance to escape now. Um, so make your escape good and some of you will stay here with us. But John chapter 13 starts out with Jesus washing the, the feet of his disciples and he's emphasizing there the need to serve one another. And then this discourse ends with what has come to be known as Jesus' high priestly prayer or Jesus' great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. So John, sometimes we don't realize this, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, in the middle of all the action that is about to follow, the action that has taken place beforehand, this is one long discourse to his disciples ending with a prayer to God the Father. One of the things about that prayer of the Lord Jesus that stands out to me in John chapter 17 is that the Lord Jesus is praying to his Father and he's praying for his disciples, but not just the disciples that were walking around then. He specifically says, and for all of those who will come to know you as a result of the word of these disciples. And so Jesus prays that we love one another all of us today. He prays that we have perfect unity, just like there's unity in the Godhead, that we would be united. And I can't help but think, now that all, at least many of our masks are down and some of them are up and that's fine, love it whenever somebody gets up. Kendall had the privilege this morning of telling us what the elders have decided and the elders and the pastor because we thank God for those gifts, don't we? of the leaders of our church. And they may say some things from time to time that we don't really like. When I was a kid, I loved Zorro. Anybody remember Zorro? Remember? I love Zorro. I ran around all day long with this black mask on. I loved wearing a mask then. Today, not so much. But when you see a mask on anybody here at church, what they tell us, and all the reports are different, I know, but what they tell us is that it is for the protection of other people. I'm not protecting myself when I wear a mask. I'm protecting you from me. So think about this. Whenever there's a mask there, it's not about me. It's like I'm wearing a badge that says, I love you. And it promotes the fact that we love one another. 
And I'm very, very thankful that whenever something happens and somebody announces, here's what the elders talked about, realize that took hours and hours and hours of prayer and discussion. And I'm glad to be able to trust our leadership and I'm thankful to the Lord for them. And if you agree with that, blow your horn. Oh, wait a minute, we're not outside anymore. Well, if you're... <laughs> Thank you, elders, we, we appreciate that. Well, when we come to our text today in chapter 14, we find Jesus' disciples in a very bad way. The bottom had just dropped out for the disciples. They were stunned. They were reeling. They were confused. Because what had happened was, and picture who this is, this is a tight-knit fraternity of men who for three years plus had been following the Lord Jesus. They had been following him. He was their Lord, their master, their friend, their confidant. And this group of individuals was very tight, very close, and all wrapped around Jesus. Some of us remember the old hymn, Jesus is all the world to me. The disciples could have said that very literally. Jesus was all the world to them. And now the Lord Jesus is going to give them three pieces of information, any one of which would have been devastating to them, but they're going to get three. Now in baseball, you get three strikes and you're out. And with the disciples, they're going to get three strikes. And some would say then they're going to be out. But actually, Jesus is going to say three strikes and you're in. Because he has more to say than just these pieces of information. But strike one was what I call betrayal. Right after washing their feet, Jesus, it says, was troubled in spirit. When we come to verse 21 of John 13, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He wanted to get their attention, so he said, truly, truly. That means sit up and take notice. One of you, one of this tight-knit group, this fraternity of men, one of you is going to betray me. And do you know what? Those disciples trusted Jesus so much that they trusted him more than they trusted themselves because they began to say, is it I, Lord? Is it I? They knew who it wasn't. They knew they weren't going to betray Jesus, but Jesus said, one of you, and they believed him so much they had to ask, is it I? Strike one, betrayal. Strike two, I call it bereavel. Don't look that up, don't spell check that. I made it up. It's the act of being bereaved, being separated. And the Lord Jesus told them, where I'm going, you cannot come now, but you will follow me afterwards. Strike three, denial. In verse 33 of Peter, Jesus said, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Betrayal, bereavel, denial, leaving the disciples then in a very, very bad way. That's where chapter 13 of John ends, but not really. Chapter 14 continues without interruption in the original manuscripts. Jesus knew that his disciples were troubled. He knew their state of uncertainty and confusion. He knew they were hurting. He didn't waste any time in comforting them. And here's what he had to say to them upon the heels of this terrible information he had just given them. And to us today on the heels of any information that we get that leaves us stunned and confused and reeling like the disciples. So if you follow along John chapter 14, I'd like to read verses 1 through 6. 
Remember the context now. Jesus speaking to them at that time. These words inscripturated for us at this time. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what did Jesus say immediately? Let not your hearts be troubled. And the grammar indicates that they were to stop letting their hearts be troubled. It was already there. They were already troubled. This wasn't something that might happen in the future and don't let your hearts be troubled. It was, you've got to deal with this right now and get rid of those troubled hearts. Jesus' words were not preventive. They were prescriptive. They already had the disease of a troubled heart when Jesus said that. They were told to, dis to stop that distress that was going on in their hearts by an act of their will. But they couldn't just take something out of their heart and not replace it with anything else. Trouble leaving from their hearts would leave a void. It would leave a vacuum unless something replaced it. Picture this, picture a heart like a balloon. You can't remove the air and still have an inflated balloon. You have a mess just sitting there doing nothing of no earthly good. You've got to replace the air with more air or with helium or another gas for it to be a balloon and for kids to be able to play with it or for it to be able to celebrate somebody's birthday or anniversary or something. In the same way, we just can't get rid of bad habits, tendencies, and practices and leave ourselves in a vacuum. The Bible warns us about that. We've got to replace when we get rid of evil. We've got to replace it with something that is good. What did Jesus want his disciples to substitute for troubled hearts? He wanted them to get rid of the troubled hearts. And he said, believe in God and believe also in me. That's a great antidote for the Lord Jesus to give to us. I like the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible, you'll know why it says Amplified, because the Greek language is so rich that it's very hard to take one word in English to substitute for one word in the Greek. So the Amplified gives some of the other shades of meaning that could very well be possible with that same word. So here's what the Amplified Bible says. Do not let your hearts be troubled distressed that is or agitated you believe in and adhere to and trust in and rely on God believe in and adhere to and trust in and rely also on me if we're able to do that then we won't have to have troubled hearts Jesus knows when his followers are hurting and somebody said this at, at, at one time every occasion for distress is a fresh call to confidence in God and in his son. Believe in God, Jesus said, believe also in me. And here's a great opportunity to do that because trouble has just dumped on you like it did on the disciples. Jesus told his disciples back then, continues to tell them, that's us today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Does that seem possible? 
not to have a troubled heart? Does that seem a little bit maybe unrealistic? Can we have untroubled hearts? Well, let me make it a little harder to say yes to that, that we can. Can we have an untroubled heart even when death is all around us? It doesn't have to do with just the pandemic. Death is all around us. There is something, if you ever want to go online, look up the world death clock, if you want a sobering moment or two. The world death clock is ticking away. The numbers keep getting larger and larger. I checked it about a week ago. 37,828,770 deaths up to the end of August this year and it keeps ticking as you watch that death clock. Every day on average 153,424.7 deaths occur. 0.7 deaths. Is somebody here feeling like 0.3 alive today? Um, where's Bernie? Is he feeling 0.3? I, I don't know but that, those are the statistics. To taunt me while I was copying down this information, they told me 200 people just died. Can we have untroubled hearts even when death is all around us? Well, we say, I don't care about the 153,000 so much as I do about one death. What if the, the next funeral that the folks at the church attend is for me? I, I care about my death. I, I wanna, I'm, that's something that I have a troubled heart about. Well, Hemingway's novel, For Whom the Bell Tolls, was based on a meditation by John Donne, had something I think is very important. And therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. None of us will escape that death. So whether it's 153,000 or it's one, can I have an untroubled heart when death is all around? Can I have an untroubled heart even if the world is a mess. Would anybody agree with me that the world is in a lot of trouble right now? The world is a mess. Let me suggest a few words. It'll take your thoughts going in a hundred directions at once. You're not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do this anyway. The world's in terrible shape. COVID-19 or coronavirus, whatever you prefer. Economy, riots, demonstrations, presidential campaign. Does that indicate anything about our country being in terrible shape? ISIS, ISIL, Boko Haram, terrorists, home invaders, illness, Taliban, drones, random violence, family abuse, stock market, rejection, criticism, violence, threats, North Korea, cancer, drugs, Mexican wall, Syria and Iran, school shootings, suicide bombings, Russia, global warming, China, tariffs, fires in Brazil, fires in California, aging. An asteroid. Can I get an amen? No, don't need an amen for any of that. Jesus understands that if left unchecked, we live in troubled times. But he gave us three reasons why we can have untroubled hearts. Three reasons. The first is a prepared residence. A prepared residence. I go to prepare a place for you. That's pretty significant because of who said that. Jesus said that. I go to prepare a place 
for you. Imagine your dream house here on this earth. Now some of you may be living in your dream house and God bless you for your contentment. But not everybody is content with the house they're living in now. There's a dream house perhaps. But imagine for a minute with me. How many of you have a great imagination? How many of you have an imagination at all? Okay, imagine your dream house here on earth. Maybe you can't afford it, but maybe you can get close to somebody who can afford it and will get it for you. I like to study this in Forbes. There are 2,095 billionaires now. When I looked a year ago, this now down 58 from when I last checked. Some of those poor billionaires are only making hundreds and hundreds of millions now. Don't you feel sorry for them? Well, number one was Jeff Bezos with Amazon. $206.4 billion he's worth. Maybe he would become your friend and benefactor and tell you you can get whatever house you want to. Uh, number two was Bill Gates. Everybody knows Bill Gates. Poor guy's only $118.1 billion. He's trailing Jeff a whole lot. Something that I find very interesting. In this list, remember now there are 2,095 billionaires. Number 12, number 13, number 14, number 100, number 215, and number 262 are all from the same family. You know what family that is? Their name is Walton. Remember that the next time you go to Walmart. You made a whole family very, very rich. Now imagine that you marry into the Walton family or one of these other billionaires befriends you and they tell you that you can have whatever you want. You want a house and it costs $600 million, okay, that's fine. You can have it. You can have it anywhere in the world you want to. Somebody says, you know, that sounds an awful lot like heaven to me. But the good news from the Bible is that that's not even close. That's not even close to what heaven will be like. Now imagine for a moment your prepared place in heaven. Can you do that? Imagine your prepared place in heaven. That's a trick question because I'm here to tell you, you cannot. You cannot imagine that prepared place in heaven. And why do I say that? Because it says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what it says. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Nobody's ever seen it, nobody's ever heard it, nobody's even imagined how great heaven will be. It's a prepared place, not by a billionaire, but by Jesus himself. In this prepared place in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 to 5, just a quick glimpse of some good news here and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away for he who is seated on the throne said I am making everything new then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. A quick glimpse at the glories of heaven. In this prepared place, we're told that there are many rooms. Some of you older ones, some of you people that grew up in the King James Version, you're saying, what happened to my mansions? How many of you were saying that? Yes, some of you are. What happened to my mansions? In the Father's house are many mansions. It reads here, they're down to rooms. That doesn't sound good. 
Well, the um, literal interpretation of that word means abiding places. It comes from something they would have understood at that time because the extended family would live together and there would be, we would call it maybe an apartment today, but under the same roof would be the extended family. The point that's being made here is that we will be under the same roof as our father and it will be a whole lot better than a mansion and certainly a whole lot better than a room. So don't think room, don't think even mansion. Think I'm going to be in my father's house. I'm going to be there where God is. What is my father's house? Because it doesn't say heaven, it doesn't use that word, but we understand from all over the Bible that heaven is where God lives and that's where his house is. A couple of quick examples, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Or Psalm 33, verses 13 to 14. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. In my Father's house, the one who's in heaven, that's God himself. Jesus emphasized the truth here in verse 2 to further assure the disciples. He said, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And the implied answer is, of course not. I wouldn't have told you that. We can have untroubled hearts because there's a prepared residence for us, but Jesus didn't stop there. He went on. There's a second reason he gave. A promised return. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if, and that if means since, since I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. We get to see the Lord Jesus again either when he comes back to take us all who are believers to be with him or upon death of a believer in Christ. Either way is a blessed hope for those of us who know the Lord Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there are verses that talk about Jesus coming again. You're familiar with them. Let me very quickly read verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever therefore encourage each other with these words what great encouragement that is it's God's choice whether or not we go to heaven by way of the undertaker or the upper taker. That's God's choice, but either one of those two ways, and what a great thing it is. Can we be sure of heaven? Or is it wishful thinking? I love what John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may, what's the next word if anybody's following along? No so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope for, not wish for, so that you may know that you have eternal life. My son has a dog, and I want to talk about the dog. Uh, you can probably tell a little bit, I hope it's, I know it's not real clear, but um, he's called Oreo for pretty obvious reasons. And I 
bring Oreo into our service this morning simply to make this point that the Lord Jesus says I am coming back for you but in the meantime what do we hold on to Jesus hasn't come back yet and it looks like the world is getting out of control more and more all the time <clears throat> well Oreo is a big dog and that's my son that he's with my son's just peeping in in the corner over here they live in a heavily wooded area and Oreo who just died about two months ago Oreo was the love of my son and his wife's life uh, Oreo also was fearless Oreo would chase bears packs of coyotes uh, the only thing that he seemed to be ever bothered by or afraid of was the absence of my son we would babysit the dog would sit at the door most of the day and the next day and the next day but my son would leave something behind so that the dog knew he was coming home his big bed that he had at home he would have there and whatever else they could leave behind they would leave behind so the dog would have something to know that Dan my son was coming back again to see him did Jesus leave anything behind for us to comfort us yes later in the same chapter of John he gave us two assurances he's leaving some things behind for us one of them is his Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 verses 25 and 26 Jesus said these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you not only did he leave his Holy Spirit but he left his peace John chapter 14 verse 27 peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid Jesus said I am leaving you peace right now you're moving to Minnesota I'll bet you because I know you I'll bet you you're leaving with peace because you know that God is in this and you wouldn't be going there if God hadn't let you in on his peace a friend of ours uh, just died a few weeks ago uh, of COVID-19 older man he and his wife moved to North Carolina they were in a nursing home they had a lot of issues they moved to North Carolina to be close to their daughter Amy Amy who died two years ago and Amy's husband their son-in-law moved to New Jersey so there they were they went down there for Amy's sake and now it's just Ken and Joy who were there just got a prayer request from her former teacher of her class pray for Joy Joy is in kind of a bad way she's got fibromyalgia if you're not certain what that is it's a very very painful disorder and she had a major case of it has had for years she's in intense pain she's also got a number of other things including diabetes she's on a lot of medicine and so here is joy now her husband has just died and she has contracted the covid virus as well and is struggling with that so her husband dead her daughter dead her son-in-law moved the pastor of the local church can't even come to visit her she's all alone and this is what she tells her teacher she says I am putting my claim on John chapter 14 verse 27 peace I leave with you my peace I give you I do not give to you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid 
If it were up to me, I'd say to Joy, you know what? You can have a troubled heart. You deserve it. You've earned it. And she says, no, I'd rather have God's peace. I'm claiming John 14, 27. Do not let your hearts be troubled, it says again. And do not be afraid. Thirdly, and finally, Jesus. The third reason why we don't have to have troubled hearts. And this is important to me. It's because of a precise road map we have in how to get to this prepared place. may not mean a whole lot to you, but I have a terrible sense of direction. It's awful, and I will challenge anybody, if you want to talk to me afterwards, I'll challenge you that my sense of direction is worse than yours. Something got screwed in backwards here, and I have story after story after story that I could tell you about my poor sense of direction. I'm just going to tell you one of them very quickly. We had a friend in our church where we served before. His name was John. John was very wealthy. He was sales manager for one of the local TV stations. He had a beautiful place in the suburbs of Philadelphia. He also had a beautiful place in the Poconos. And he also had a beautiful place in Ocean City. And he said to my wife and myself, I'd love for you and your two, at that time, two little boys to come and spend some time at our place in Ocean City. And after a while, we found we had several days that we could do that. So told him, yes, give me the address. And he gave me the address. And I said, great, thank you. Because I wouldn't have been able to find my way there except for this. It's, it was on a numbered street. I love numbered streets. Because all you have to do is find one of them and count. You just have to be able to count. You don't have to have a sense of direction. So we were off on our way, traveling to Ocean City. The boys were all excited because it was going to be a beautiful prepared place. But John owned it. It was going to be absolutely gorgeous. So there we were and we drove and we got just about there. And then with 20 blocks to go, we ran into the bay. That was before cell phones. We stopped and we made a phone call, made a new friend. Asked if we could use their phone call. John said, John, could you give me your directions how to get to your house? I'm, I'm not quite finding it yet. And John said, sure. Take 95 South and you take 13 South. And I said, never mind, John, I'm good. See, the problem was we were in Ocean City, New Jersey. And you know where John's place was? In Ocean City, Maryland. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to have a beautiful, prepared place and not know how to get there? Or worse, go to the wrong place. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing? That's why I'm so glad that entering into the picture here is Thomas that we always make fun of. He's doubting Thomas. And Jesus said, you know where I'm going. And Thomas said, no, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So glad he said that because you know what he was almost doing? Almost. Almost asking for directions. I know men don't ask for directions, but Thomas was asking for directions, really. And because he asked for directions, then Jesus could say, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is precise direction in how to get to heaven. In the way the Greek language is, the I is in the emphatic position, and it literally means this. I and only I am not a way, not a truth, not a life. I and only I am the way, the truth, the life. And just in case we haven't gotten it by then, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And that puts to the lie all of those people today who are saying, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. 
It puts to the lie those that say, all roads eventually will lead to heaven. Jesus said, no, I am the way. Only one. And I'm so glad he gave precise directions. We have a precise road map in how to get to heaven. And I'm so glad that the Lord Jesus also said this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. This was written to a church, but whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Jesus said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Not talking about one of these doors, talking about the door of our being. I stand there and knock. There have been those artists who have drawn pictures of that door. It doesn't have a handle on the outside. He's not going to knock the door down. He's going to wait for us to invite him to come in. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he says, I will come in. Those are some pretty precise directions. And that's why we can have untroubled hearts, because Jesus has given to us a prepared place, a prepared residence, a promised return, and a precise roadmap in how to get to be with him. That kind of takes all the troubles of the world and they pale in insignificance to the significance of what Jesus taught us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for making it clear to each one of us. And thank you that in these troubled times, there is your word. Let not your hearts be troubled. Peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. I give you something different. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.